Thanks for listening to The Real Life Podcast. If you live in the Erie area, we invite you to join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or live on Facebook and YouTube by searching Real Life Assembly. Now, here's this week's message. Well, good morning, Real Life family. We are so excited that you're here. As you know, we are continuing in our service, in our sermon series, Sour Subjects. And it's been been interesting the last two weeks, right? We've, we've talked on some super sour subjects, and this week is another one. So I thought it was only fitting that we kind of lighten the mood a little bit before we get started. So what better way than pictures of our dogs? So here we go. So if you look, Kate and I have two dogs. They're so cute. Yes. One of them is obviously my dog, and the other one is obviously Caitlin's dog. So if you had to guess... Which one do you think is my dog? The one on the right is my dog. That's Dallas. That is Dallas. Dally boy. He is a bro. He has been with me for what? Since 2019. We established the bachelor pad at the Giesbrecht residence before I got yes, married. I ruined that bachelor yep, pad. Yep. yep. There, yep. Was some, there was some tension when Kate and I first started dating. He did not like me. Because <laughs> the attention was shifting from Dallas to, obviously, my wife. So that is Dallas. He is nine years old. You can tell he's getting a little gray. Um, but he's my dog. And then on the left, we just got him this past fall. That is Jack. He's such a sweet boy. But Jack is obviously my wife's dog. Jim, you can go to the next. Aw, look at them. They're ready for bed. So we've had a standing thing. Dallas has always slept in bed with me every time. And we finally have come to an agreement that Dallas is allowed on the bed. We kicked Jack off because he's a moose, but Dallas is allowed on the bed. And so Jack does get special treatment too. Jack is my wife's dog. And I say he's my wife's dog because he wants nothing to do with me. Like if she is around, he is all Caitlin all the time. If she's not there, then I'm kind of second best. But I also say Jack is my wife's dog because he will let her do anything she wants to this dog. Jim. Look at him. Anything she wants. I was in, I was in Alabama when I got that picture. Yeah, he's so cute. She said, I'm going to give the dogs a bath, and then I get this picture. And I could just Little think babushka. to myself, yeah. that poor dog. But anyways, that's a picture of our dogs, Dallas and Jack. So I figured we'd lighten the mood a little bit. So as you know, we're going through this subject of the sour subjects. And before we dive in today, if I could just kind of share our heart behind this this sermon series, this subject as well. I know Pastor Jim has kind of said it before and will say it again kind of thing. We're here to provide biblical truth in these matters. We're not here to debate. We're not here to argue. What we want to do is we want to provide what the Bible says in these times. Because there is, you, can, you can walk five feet and find an opinion somewhere. And what we want to do is we want to provide biblical truth in these times, in these matters. And obviously the one we're going to be talking about today, we're, it's called Live and Let Live. Which obviously, you know, some of you may know that that is the subject of abortion. And... That is a hot topic right now. That is a topic that everybody and anybody has a stance on right now. And mainly because it's just been so recently that we had the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And so this is probably one of the more, in, more divided, divisive subjects in our culture today. Because you're, you know, it's very one side or the other in these matters. And so what we want to do today is we want to take that and we just want to provide what the Bible says and how we should respond as the church. We're going to take opinions out of it, how we need to respond as a church. So I'm not going to be doing this alone. I got guest speakers today. We actually have my wife, Kate, who works at the Women's Care Center. And we also have Brenda, who will be joining us in a minute, who also works at the Women's Care Center, which is a pregnancy resource center in Erie. So... Before we let them get to it, I just want to kind of frame a little bit. So 
obviously Roe v. Wade gets overturned. What is Roe v. Wade? Well, Roe v. Wade in 1970, Jane Roe, which is a fictional name used in the court documents to protect the plaintiff's identity, filed a lawsuit against Henry Wade and the district attorney of Dallas County, Texas, where she resided challenging a Texas law making a Texas law making abortion illegal except by doctor's orders to save a woman's life. In her lawsuit, Roe allegedly alleged that the state laws were unconstitutional, vague, and abridged, and her right of personal privacy protected by the First, Fourth, Fifth, Ninth, and Fourteenth Amendments. In this process, they found that the Fourteenth Amendment is a right to privacy that protects a woman's choice whether to have an abortion. However, this right is balanced against the government's interest in protecting the woman's health and protecting the potential, the potential human life. The Texas law challenge in this case violated that right. Well, we had a justice, Harry Blackman, delivered the opinion for the 7-2 majority of the court. So we have two sides. We have the Texas lawmakers, the Texas legislature that said, hey, we are protecting the potential life, the life of the baby. And then we had Jane Roe who said, it is unconstitutional. It is against my right to privacy. That's the two sides that we have. And then in the process, we found out and they ruled that the 14th Amendment protects the state of action, the right to privacy, and a woman, woman's rights to the abortion falls to that right of privacy. And so now the state law that pro broadly prohibits abortion, they can only regulate it into some degrees. And so now that we have the overturning of Roe v. Wade, that power is back to the states. It's not on the Supreme Court level that the states can now regulate and decide what the law and what the regulations are for those abortions. So that is a hot topic. We're just going to say it. And so what we want to do today, like I said, we want to provide the truth. So we want to provide biblical truth. So the question that we pose is what, what do we do? How do we respond? What is the biblical truth in the matter? Absolutely. And, and we just want to encourage us today to lean in right? Because this is a hard topic, yeah. you know? But, um, you know, before I even begin, you know, I just want to say thank you to PJ and Debbie for letting, mm. trusting us with yeah. this hard topic, and thank you to you guys, you know, for being willing to learn, being willing to just, um, you know, have an open heart and open ears for it, you know? And even before I begin, you know, Bailey already mentioned it, spilled the beans. It was my 25th birthday yes. on Friday. Um, yeah, absolutely, you know? And, and I think I was just reminded for myself what it took my mom to bring me into the world. For you, for many of, of us here today, if you don't know, I'm an identical twin. She's actually in the room today. Ooh. So my mom was carrying twins, all right? So 25 years and a few months ago, she decided one day to, work, to walk and walk and walk the Pittsburgh Zoo. Well, she was 25 weeks pregnant at the time, and me and my sister, uh, being the spunky twins that we are, decided we didn't want to wait any longer, so we wanted to go today, 25 weeks. So we put my mom on bed rest for three months, y'all. Wow. Three months. Yep, 25 weeks, almost went into labor. The doctors, you know, said, you know, hey, we need to put you on bed rest here. Um, but I'm reminded of that today, reminded of my 25th birthday, and I'm reminded of the value of life that the doctors, even at 25 weeks, said, hey, that is something that needs to be protected. That is, those are two lives that have value and worth. You know, so I'm grateful today for the yeah. doctors. I'm grateful for my parents who said, you know, we are going to fight. You know, even if it means my mom being in the hospital for three months in order for us to survive. She did just that and we're here today. So I'm reminded of that. You know, that's why I'm so passionate about this topic. Mm -hmm. You know, and Bailey already said, I work for the Women's Care Center as well. I've been there for two years, as Bailey mentioned. Uh, we're a pregnancy resource center um, that truly loves and cares for the women that come into our office. And, and that's women who are thrilled and excited about the pregnancy, or even on the other hand, you know, they see that positive pregnancy test and they are terrified and they are running to the abortion clinic. We are there for those women. Um, and uh, you know, our middle name is CARE, you know, Women's Care Center, and I'm truly grateful to work for an organization that provides the needed resources um, with a ton of truth, right? We provide resources, truth, but also a ton of grace and a ton of love today um, to women who are overwhelmed, 
they're confused, they're scared, and they're contemplating so many different things um, when faced with a positive pregnancy test. Um, and for myself, you know, I've been in counseling rooms with abortion-bound women, hearing their stories, and as they share their hearts about their situation. Um, so this topic today hits close with me, because we deal with this regularly at work. Um, and I'm thankful to have my coworker Brenda here to share a little bit more about the Women's Care Center a little bit later on in our service today. So there's many reasons why I'm passionate about this topic. Um, and, and there's been a few topics, I think, you know, that caused so much debate and controversy um, and emotion and rhetoric as the question of abortion, right? It's the subject of countless articles, of books, speeches, and demonstrations. Um, this is a topic that for many of us here in this room hits home for us. Statistics say one in four women will have an abortion. If we even take a look in that room, one in four women will have an abortion. Or even if we consider some other statistics, that 35% of Christian women who have had an abortion indicated that they currently attended church once a week or more. 36% of women were attending a Christian church once a month or more at the time of their first abortion. And here's a statistic that hits my heart hard. As women considered their abortion decision, the most typical reactions or expectations from a local church, 33% were, said they were judgmental. 26% said condemning. This needs to change, church. This needs to change. These are real numbers by real people. So why do I include these stats, right? With one in four women having an abortion, abortion is not just something that's in our backyards. It's in our own pews. As Christians, this must matter to us because it matters to God. And it's affected our brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's resulted in the death of over 60 million innocent lives since 1973. As a people of God, church, we must believe that all people matter to him. Whether it's the unborn who are vulnerable in the womb, or it's the woman and her partner faced with a really difficult decision, we must believe that all people matter. We must believe that all people are worthy of life. Amen today, church? Amen. Um, and, and I just, before I even begin to get into the word, many of us have been affected by abortion, you know, whether that's personally um, or as a result of a family member, a, a sibling, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, um, you know, maybe it's a girlfriend or a wife, you know, that have gone through that. This affects many of us in the room, and, and I want us to be conscious of that this morning. And, and if you do find yourself in that category, I want you to know that you are in a room full of love today. Right, church? Right? With, full of love, full of grace, and full of confidence today that God's love for you has never changed. Even if you're watching online today, that nothing you can do can separate you from God's love. That you're not too far from the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus today. The blood of Jesus still washes away even the darkest of sins and the deepest of hurts. And we believe that. We see you, we hear you, and, and we love you this morning. And, and if you are in this category, I want to apologize on behalf of Christians who may have portrayed this pro-life message wrong, right? They, they have very strong convictions, you know, but sometimes the delivery. Today, this isn't a wound that runs so deep. I'm so sorry. So for us today, this is an invitation to come out of that shame and to come out of that condemnation. The enemy is the one that brings condemnation and shame. Jesus brings forgiveness and healing and redemption this morning. So you are not defined by your past. If you find yourself in this category, you're not defined by that. Um, and if you struggle with this secret or with this burden, reach out. Reach out whether it's to, you know, Pastor Jim or Debbie, or it's at the Women's Care Center, you know, we offer post-abortion counseling, um, you know, at our office where we want to see both men and women free from their past, and but then also truly heal from what they've been through. You are not alone this morning. Do we believe in that, church? Amen. Amen. So like I said, this is going to be a heavy topic today. Um, so I'm just asking us to lean in to listen with an open heart and a willingness to look at scripture and to walk in compassion and grace and love towards those found in crisis pregnancies. Can we do that today, church? 
Awesome, awesome. Okay, so let's just define it today. So abortion, simply put, it's going to be up on the screen, is defined as the removal of an embryo or fetus from the uterus in order to end a pregnancy. And before we continue, especially with us talking about, you know, Roe v. Wade, I want to make it clear what this does not include, okay? The type of abortion we're referring to today does not include the treatment of ectopic pregnancies, um, and this is what happens when the fetus develops outside of the uterus and typically resides in the fallopian tubes. Um, so the abortion we're talking about is not that treatment for ectopic pregnancies. It's not the treatment for any miscarriages or any other life altering or life-threatening conditioning where uh, the mother is, mother's life is at risk. Those are procedures where the techniques may be similar, but the purpose is not. Okay, so these are also procedures that, you know, many of us um, believe are affected by this recent overturn of Roe v. Wade. And I just want to set the record straight that while I'm not talking politics this morning, I'm going to talk about the word. You know, I'm not going to talk politics, but it's important to clear the confusion over the overturn of Roe v. Wade that it does not affect those procedures. All right, treating ectopic pregnancies or miscarriages or other life-threatening conditions where in pregnancy is not the same thing as abortion. I want to make it clear because I know uh, many of us in our family have gone through maybe one of those experiences, um, and, and I want to be sensitive to that this morning. So no, they're not, they're not changed by this recent ruling. Um, but what has changed with this recent ruling, as Bailey mentioned, that abortion in the U.S. is regulated by the states since it's not seen as a constitutional right. So what we're talking about today is what I'd consider voluntary abortion. It's the removal of an embryo or fetus from the uterus um, in order to end a pregnancy. Another definition describes it as this. Uh, it's the interruption of a pregnancy before viability at the request of the woman, and it's not for medical reasons. This is the removal of a baby. This is the removal of life. And as Bailey said, we're just going to dive into the word this morning. Um, and it seems, even in the church, that there's this clear divide, right, between pro-life and pro-choice. Um, now, it comes to the question, is this divide, is this disagreement um, due to the Bible being silent on this issue? You know, we must look to the word. The word of God, if we're Christians in the house today, the word of God is our standard by which we're just to... We are to discern truth from error. You know, we, the Bible must be the final say in our lives. The Bible is to teach, to reprove, to correct and train us for righteousness. And as Christians, we must base our life on the word, and we must base our life and faith in God's word and not in the opinions um, of the world around us and those around us. But if the Bible provides no insight um, on any given issue like abortion, then it's up, then we are left to formulate our views on other grounds. Um, the Bible's clear on, on a number of different principles, and that makes it obvious what God's view is on the unborn and uh, what our position as Christians should be on abortion. So before we even consider the Christian view on abortion, it's very important for us to look into the word and to understand uh, what it says about life, namely the sanctity of life. And when we consider this term sanctity of life, we're, we're continually brought to this idea of the imago Dei. Uh, it's called the image of God. And this is what it says, you know, the term, the sanctity of life, this is what it reflects. It reflects the belief that because people are made in God's image, humans Human life has inherently sacred attributes that should be protected and respected at all times. So this is from conception to natural death. Humans have value. We have inherent dignity and immeasurable worth. This includes preborn children, elderly individuals, those with special needs, and, and others marginalized in our society. And as Christians, we are called to defend, to protect, and to value all human life. It, this is what it means to be pro-life. We must be consistently pro-life. It means treating everyone as sacred. Being pro-life means that we believe everyone has dignity, from the unborn in the womb to me and you. This is because of the imago Dei, the image of God, you know, that's found in all of us. And we read this in Genesis 1, 26 through 27. This is what it says. Then God said, 
Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And this is something that even PJ talked about last week when we talked about gender identity, that God is the one who created us male and God created us in his own image. And then we see, you know, in Genesis 2, God breathed his own breath into Adam. He became a living being. And this is something that God didn't do with any other creature, any other animal, um, you know, in the creation story. And as humans being made in God's image, we are set apart from all creation. All right, being made in God's image, we're personal, we're spiritual, we're relational, you know, we're rational beings, you know, we're different than my cute little dogs, you know, you know, but there are, you know, God created animals, but we're so much different. Being made in the image of God means that we have value today. Adam was not alive until God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And in the same way, it's not until a certain chemical combination that makes the unborn child live, but it's the very breath of God that breathed into them. That's what makes them valuable. That's what makes them live. So as Jesus followers, we view all humans, all human beings, big and small, as valuable The Bible also clearly supports the view that life begins at conception. So we're talking about the image of God and we're talking about life at conception, which is fertilization. And for any kids in the room, if you don't know what that means, ask your parents on the ride home. We're not covering that today in church, so I won't be covering that. Yeah, and uh, tune in. We'll We'll do a youth series sometime when they're older. Yeah, when they're older, not in the near future. But ask your parents. (laughs) Ask your parents. But from the very moment of conception, God's image is imparted, which means that at the fraction of a second when the chromosomes form pairs, right, the sex of the new child will be determined. Hereditary characteristics received from each parent will be set. Um, And new life has begun. This is the very moment of conception as the cells start multiplying. And God's handprint, even in that very small, microscopic um, thing, God's handprint is already at work with this new life. Uh, from the very moment of conception, we see life, and, we, and God forms, and he knows um, and cares for this unborn life. We see this in Psalm uh, 139, which is going to be on the screen. We'll read, to get, re, we'll read that this morning. Um, and this is even a whole chapter that I'd encourage you to, to take, a t- take time this week to really read and to meditate on these truths. There's so much in this chapter. Um, but for these verses, um, you know, David is writing in Psalm 139, and he writes this. I hope this speaks to some of you today. He says this, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. He's talking about God here. He said, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Amen, church. And I hope this speaks to someone today that from the womb, God knew you. God knew you. He formed you in the secret place. And we see from this passage that the unborn has value. They have life. But not only that, they have purpose today. It says, you know, in that last verse, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one came to be. Yet we, you know, this is why we're talking about it, yet we who are fearfully and wonderfully made are destroying God's handiwork at a rate of millions of babies per year. We must not forget that the unborn are also fearfully and wonderfully made as well. So God saw us in the womb. And not only that, but from from conception, we had purpose. God does not bring us into life without purpose. And I want to speak to someone here today that you are not a mistake this morning. 
right? We have purpose from God. Jeremiah 1.5 even says that before God even formed Jeremiah in his mother's womb, God knew him and set him apart and appointed him to be a prophet for the nations. So what does these verses mean? Um, that even before conception, that every single life has a specific plan, um, that God has a specific plan for every single life. That the unborn, one, has value because they are created in God's image, and two, they have purpose from God. God loves and sees and cares for the unborn. Um, he knows them from the moment of conception and even before we were given a thought in our parents' mind. So as Christians, as God's people, then, we have this responsibility right, to also know and care for these children in the womb. They are one of the most vulnerable groups in our society. They have no way of telling others of their inerrant worth and their value. They have no mouth to speak up for themselves, uh, but they too are still worthy of dignity and of respect today. You know, these passages demonstrate that in the womb, God doesn't just see a clump of cells or um, this fetus. God sees another person in the womb. That is why we are pro-life. We don't just see a clump of cells in the womb. We can take from Scripture the truth that in the womb is a person, an unborn child full of purpose, full of value, and full of worth. Do we believe in this church? Yes, yes. So God's attitude, you know, towards killing the, towards the killing of innocence is very clear in Scripture. Um, no one's guiltless who takes the life of another. God even inspired Moses in Exodus uh, to include in the Scriptures a law that, provide, that protected the unborn by the same punishment for injury or death as that of a mother or of an, another adult. Uh, we can find this in Exodus 21. But I love this law because it values not just the life of the unborn, but the life of the mother, right? As Christians, we're called to love them both. As Christians, we are called to fight for the life, for the, for the life of the unborn, and we are called to love and to support women and men in crisis situations. Uh, we're called to come alongside them, to speak truth and love, to empower them, even to see their situations from a different perspective. And this is what the image of God should do. The image of God must shape how Christians view abortion, what it is and how to respond to it. When we believe that the Bible, which is the word of God, when we believe that is the basis for how we conduct our lives, when we believe that life begins at conception, that every human life is created in God's image and likeness, then we must believe that they are worthy of dignity, of value, and respect from the unborn in the womb to me and you today. So when we consider all of this, um, you know, what is the Christian's view of abortion? We can conclude today that abortion is a violation of the image of God. It's the voluntary killing of an innocent life that has value, dignity, and worth in the eyes of God. So what should our view of abortion be today? I think the scripture makes it very clear um, what it should be today. We must view abortion as, this, as wrong and as evil, yet... The factors that lead women to abortion, they're real and they're painful. This is the balance we must have being pro-life. You know, whether it's the wrong timing or parents calculating that they can't afford to raise another child or the pregnancy being socially unacceptable, um, there are real factors that families face. You know, yet scripture tells us that life is not ours to take. And that God's word takes the killing of another's life very seriously. We must keep in mind those two realities. So as Christians, we do not support uh, voluntary abortion. Um, there are also many factors, like I said, that, that can cause a woman to, to go to an abortion clinic. And unfortunately, there's so much to cover with these topics that we won't be able to cover this morning. Um, but the overarching belief as Christians, as people who put their trust in God's holy word, is that abortion is a violation against God and his creation. It brings emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual effects on the mom and dad and those are real. Those are some real things. So, um, so, so now what, church? We've talked about the view of life. We've talked about the, uh, you know, what our view of abortion should be. And, and I can't go into 
further detail, you know, there's, like I said, there's so much to talk about, but I want to talk a little bit about what uh, we're doing today, you know, the Women's Care Center is doing today to to handle this in, in our community. So I'd like to bring up Brenda to the stage, Brenda Newport, to talk about, yes, thank you. Absolutely. And just talk about, you know, what the Women's Care Center is doing to be a light in very dark um, and seemingly hopeless situations. So, hi. Hello, Brenda. <laughs> Didn't you do an awesome job? <laughs> Good morning, church. I am very, very thankful to be here this morning. This is kind of a home church to me. It was my first church as a Christian when it was Grace. And two of my sons were married in this church, which brings wonderful memories. And I just want to thank you for being here. The Women's Care Center is a God work. And I can tell you that because I've been executive director, had been executive director for 30, over 30 years in developing ministry to our community. And I am... So proud of Jesus <laughs> and what he was able to do in this community through some obedience on my part, ignorant as I was. And I had a lot of experience with pregnancy, but I didn't have any experience with anything else. Not abortion, not adoption, not posted me. And God lives in me, and he taught me and gifted me. And the one thing that I think that he taught me that has been now nationwide and worldwide is the love approach. When Christ found me in the brokenness of my life, all he showed me was love. No condemnation, no judgment, just pure love. And when he loved me like that, I walked in that, I believed in that, I didn't know how to make judgment on other people because like Paul, I was the greatest of sinners so much of my life, broke all his commandments, and yet he loved me purely. So coming to the center, actually, he dragged me there. I wasn't interested. I was working with juvenile delinquents, and I loved working with bad boys. I, I did. You can ask my husband. I loved those bad boys. I used to, I used to tell the director at Edmund Thomas Hall, I want the, I want the worst of the worst. Give, give me them. <laughs> I want them. And the reason I wanted them was because I knew that somebody needed to love them right where they were, as bad as they were, and it wasn't going to be hard for me to convince them that they were bad because they already knew they were. And I had the solution to their soul need. So I loved working with those bad boys. So when God called me to the Women's Care Center, which was then known as Pregnancy Aid Center, I was a bit resistant. And I was telling someone earlier, I think there was laughter in heaven when I took a young woman who wanted to go to the first training in Erie um, by Kurt Young about pregnancy intervention. And I took her, I paid for her, and they wanted just $25. And I said, well, I'm not paying because I'm not staying. Uh, that was 35, 40 years ago. <laughs> and I said, God probably laughed and said, uh, watch. So my husband and I were overseas on the foreign mission field, and God called me back uh, to come to the center. The work there is a true work of love, compassion, caring. And you're right, our middle name is care. And to care as a Christian is to not put judgment on someone who's already drowning. They're drowning in fear. They're also drowning in selfishness. They live in a culture, many of you know this culture, of, it's not only a culture of death, it's a culture that says having a baby will take away your dreams, your hopes, your education, your career, your success. That baby will take away all of those things. And he has something to say. <laughs> so when we are able to sit down and talk with a young woman who is tearful or overwhelmed or just angry um, at the failure of birth control or at her boyfriend or the person she barely knows or her parents or the church, fill in the blank. She has people and circumstances around her life that are making this an impossible uh, thing to, to approach. 
and to deal with. You know, Caitlin, I don't know anything else in life like this. A positive pregnancy test can be the greatest joy and wanted forever, and it will bring such delight to the heart that it brings tears of joy. And that positive pregnancy test in untimely, unprepared circumstances is the most fearful moment of a person's life. I don't know anything else like that. I don't know what a positive pregnancy test that can be the greatest joy or the greatest fear. What else is like that? And the one thing that I became was a warrior. And I loved this young woman in front of me, just easy. I, I love people. I love kids. I love babies. I love people. And I think that God, when he saved my wretched soul, he filled me with a love I couldn't understand. It was his love. But it was bigger than me. And I knew it from the beginning, but I didn't know what it was for. It took a while to find out that that love that he put inside of me was to give away, to be Jesus, to the brokenhearted, to the fearful, to the confused, the deceived. And then I became a warrior for the unborn. <laughs> I was making war with the enemy of God's image. I became an enemy to Satan. And I was going to fight that fight. I was going to fight that fight for that woman. I was not going to leave her in bondage post-abortively. I was going to let her know that abortion is not the unpardonable sin. She is forgivable. God's grace is amazing. I wanted to fight in the counseling room, not with the woman who's panicked and fearful and deceived and selfish and whatever else. I knew that in that room was her enemy of God's image. Satan wants women destroyed, babies destroyed. I believe that God hates women because we bring the image of God into the world. He's given us that privilege. And Satan will fight against it all day, every day, every moment of life. He wants to destroy the image of God. Why? Because he hates God. That's his character. He's a liar, a deceiver, and a murderer. And Jesus said that he's been that from the beginning. So Satan is who I fight with truth. You see, you have a young woman in front of you who has just bought all the lies, all the fears that Satan is just pounding her with, right? And I'm there to slice and dice him. I'm going to take those lies and turn them into truth every single time, everything that she's concerned about, those barriers that she's facing. I want to remove barriers. And at the Women's Care Center, we have the way to do that. We have compassion. We have love. But we also have education. We have an opportunity for her to see her baby. She will come in, see that pregnancy test. She'll come back. She'll see that baby. The sonogram gives her a really good look at what's actually going on. And I hope you understand that a crisis pregnancy is what she fears. She does not connect right away that it's about a baby and that the baby has value. She's mostly afraid that somebody's going to find out she's pregnant. And she wants to eliminate the shame and the guilt and all that comes with that. I know that. So sometimes she just needs a loving encouragement from those of us who know Jesus Christ is our love. And it comes through genuinely that we do care. These women don't leave us without truth, without compassion, without education, without support. Uh, Caitlin does our Stepping Stones program. We gift the women. We help them with everything they might need for a baby. We will give her the encouragement that maybe she's not getting on the outside. I had an 18-year-old this, this week. I don't know if you saw her. But she came in, and she was abortion-bound. She saw the little tiny, tiny baby on the sonogram. And that little bitty baby, no bigger than this, had a beating heart. And she saw the heart flashing. And she said, it has a heartbeat? And we're like, yeah. And she was moved. When I met with her following the sonogram to talk to her about what her choices were, what her options were, what this looked like, abortion is what she wanted, 
And she said, you know, and I have this test I give people. She had a relationship with God. She wasn't sure, but she was feeling pressured. She had a girlfriend who was saying to her, well, it's nothing. It's just cells. It's not even developed yet. And she told me that. She said, well, my friend said. And I said, well, what do you think? And she said, it had a heartbeat. And I said, yes. And it's real. And your friend is wrong. It does matter. It matters to you. What do you think? She said, I don't think I could kill something that's living in me. And I said, you are wise beyond your 18 years. She had wisdom, and God was opening her mind and her soul and her, her thoughts to, this is real. And that baby has a heartbeat, and it's mine. It's my baby. So much of what we're doing at the Women's Care Center is loving our neighbor. Why? Because Christ first loved us. And we are women who have already experienced much of what these women experience. Many of us are post-abortive. Many of us have had pregnancies unplanned. Uh, Terry would attest to this. We did not plan five pregnancies in five years. That was not the plan. But boy, I sure know what it means to be in a crisis untimed pregnancy. I had them over and over and over. I think we planned one. And God said, no, there's more. <laughs> you, got, you got more. And I wouldn't trade them for the world. Um, even the child that is not with us, who is our third, um, I look forward to the day in heaven that I will hold that sweet child. So the Women's Care Center is an active work in your community, and it is one of the largest pregnancy centers in the nation. And that, that is to God's glory. He has, he has done amazing things. Um, we provide adoption services with Adoption by Choice, and that too is a work of God. Uh, just taking the ignorance, my ignorance, and turning it into something new of open adoption and letting the birth mother be in charge of that. We have done hundreds of newborn placements, and those women do not have regret. They are proud of their choice, and they are proud of the child. Some of them are having children of their own. We're celebrating 40 years this year, and uh, I would invite all of you to come to our 40-year anniversary banquet, September 23rd. It's going to be outstanding. You're going to hear testimonies of um, women and children uh, that are alive today and saved today. My post-abortive woman, do I have time for one story? I have a woman who came to the center several months ago. She actually came for um, at one of the services. She's older. I believe she's in her 50s. And she confessed to our nurse, who one of my clients called Walkin' Sugar, and she confessed to the nurse that she had had an abortion or two. And she quickly said, I've never told anyone that. But God wanted her to reveal that in that moment of her life. And Joni referred her back to me, and she said, I think you'd like to talk to Brenda about that. And I've been working with this woman now. She aborted in her young life as a young widow with two little boys. And she was vulnerable. She was, like I said, very young, widowed. And she had gotten into a couple of relationships, and she aborted two children because she didn't know what to do. Her healing process has been good. It has been hard. It has been emotional. But she is coming out the other side of it, having dedicated um, her two children that God has revealed to her who they were, and he even named them with her. Uh, the names of the babies are now known, both to her, to her husband, and they're doing a memorial to them. So that is some of the closure that can come many years later. Some of these women have carried this secret for 40, 50 years, and they're wanting to be healed. They want to have that part of their soul soothed. And Jesus is the soother of the soul. With his mercy, with his grace, with his love, and I want to uh, make sure that we're providing that all the time. I hope somebody puts it on somebody's heart in here today to come along and come and take care of these people at the Women's Care Center. I can't do it forever. I'd love to.
And I always wanted to be raptured out of, the, out of this world doing what God called me to do. I've always wanted to be raptured doing this thing. So Lord Jesus, come <laughs> before I'm done. But I would love to mentor people to do what I do. He puts Caitlin does. And if God puts it on your heart, right? If he puts it on your heart, don't, don't, do, don't do what I did. Telling him you can't do that. He, he convinced me anyway, but thank you, Caitlin. Thank you, Brenda. Guys, give it up to Brenda. The band can come up. So the band can come. Uh, thank you so much, Brenda, just for everything you've done for. And now you want me to sing? Yes. That's not, I, so if, she's if I'm going to, it's a gift God gave me today. <laughs> Yes, but um, truly, we're so grateful for everything, just for who you are and just for everything that you've said yes to. It's just putting your yes on the table for Jesus. Amen. Yes. And there are more yeses. Yes, yes. absolutely, absolutely. So what now, church? What should our response be to this? Um, you know, to put it plainly, like I said before, we must love them both. Being pro-life means that we not only love the unborn, um, but we fight and protect the mom and the dad and support them in those hard decisions amen you know we cannot be pro-life in principle um, but pick and choose who we treat with with dignity and practice so this is a way for life a way for life for us and if we're faced with those who don't agree remember what pj said last week we uh, don't hate anyone because they uh, disagree with us we can lovingly disagree with those who don't view the same way as us and this may mean for some of us um, to stop sharing Facebook debates, right? Get into the word. There's no argument ever won on a, a social media post. Those types of conversations are face-to-face. -face. Can't have it over, over social media. But we also must act. And, you know, for, well, like, just as Brenda said, if God is tugging on your heart this morning and you want to join us at the Women's Care Center to help minister to moms and dads um, in crisis pregnancies and situations, please do it. We would love um, to connect with you. You know, I think we're doing a, a volunteer training here soon. Soon. Yes. When I get all the yeses and the signups, soon. Yes. So please come see me. I will take your name and your phone number, and we really would love to plug you in with what God is already doing at the Women's Care Center. Um, so please come see us, and please, um, you know, and if that's not you, support. All right, support financially, um, you know, whether it's coming to the banquet in the fall. I went, my first time was going last year, and it's a beautiful banquet. I would encourage, I want to see real life represent at this banquet this year. So, yes. I have business cards. If anybody wants me to give them one, just ask me. I'll give you a card so you can do some follow-up. Yes, thank you. So whether it's supporting financially, maybe come to our events and pray. We're going to put a, a thing up on the screen. Uh, we have a prayer line here um, that sends out prayer requests every time um, the days that we have uh, an abortion-bound client. So if you wouldn't mind, everyone, if you take your phones out, if you text join WCC prayer to that phone number, um, every week we send out um, on that day, anytime we have an abortion-bound Tuesdays client, and Thursdays, I send out a text of how many abortion-bound women we will see that day. And then I send out a result later in the day. Uh, we have 250 people on that prayer chain. And trust me, those prayers move in, the, in that time with those clients like never before. This is a God work. We are his messengers. He does the saving of the lives. That is not our responsibility. Just bringing the message and the truth is our responsibility. So thank you in advance for joining us in prayer because it is, prayer is our lifeline. Um, it, we've seen God move in so many unique ways in the sonogram room, in the counseling room, um, just only what God can do. So thank you in advance for doing that. Um, you know, our response to this, our response to the abortion message must be Jesus-centered. Uh, it must be full of grace and full of love, but also full of so much truth. Um, we must pray for God's intervention and wisdom to resolve, to resist abortion. We must support local pregnancy resource centers um, who are on the front lines of this, especially, um, you know, with this overturning. Want to know some good news? Yeah. Back in the 70s, as the abortion clinics just 
all over the country put up their abortion clinic signs. There were thousands, I can't give you the exact number, but here's the flip. There were thousands of abortion clinics back then, and there were millions of abortions being done. Today, God has arrived with thousands of pregnancy resource centers while the abortion clinics are down under hundreds. So praise God. Praise he, God. Came, he came and he delivered and he said to the enemy, you watch my people. Yes. They'll fight this war. Yes, absolutely. And we're the Red Cross. <laughs> absolutely. So we must act today, church. And maybe this means we consider opening up our homes, our empty nesters here. Hey, maybe it's opening up your homes to fostering, to adopting. Um, maybe we see the double amount of teens and kids at Royal Family and Track. Con, we have the ability to impact foster kids in our, in our community. So it's volunteering, it's, it's serving, it's giving. This involves sacrifice. We have been advocating for this for 50 years. Now it's time to act, church. Amen. It's time to act. Um, so once again, if you are here today, one, if you want to um, serve with us as the Women's Care Center, please come see Now who me. would want to serve with us, Caitlin? <sighs> Really? <laughs> what, who wouldn't want to serve with us? Absolutely, absolutely. Come see us, Her. please. Mostly. Thanks, Jesus. So, um, and even today, if you are struggling, um, you know, if you have gone through an abortion personally, please come see us. Please reach out. Um, you are not alone this morning. There's forgiveness. There's healing. There's redemption. There's new life. And there's real life. Come on, church. There's real life for you today. So, Brenda, I'm actually going to have you pray us out. Do you mind just closing our service and just praying with us today? Oh, Father, you are an awesome, faithful, wonderful creator God. And it is true that you are the one who knits us together, has a purpose and plan in our lives. You have redeemed our souls. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for this church, for the churches of our community, and for the ministries in this community, that you would be raised up, Lord Jesus, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the, all the bright morning star, the Lamb of God, the soon coming King. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just put it on the hearts of the people here to get into the loving work of ministry, that they can shine for you in the darkness and they can make a difference right where they are. I do pray, Lord, that you would even bring people to help in this life-saving work at the center. Even if it's their prayers or they've come to be trained to intervene on behalf of those who are hurting. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity you have given in my life and in the lives of those around me to make a difference. Because you first loved us, we can love others. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and rejoice and wait. Amen.